didn't expect to see you here. I thought they were only going to blow the bloody doors off. Hello, it's Champy. It's episode 101 of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Now, one would expect a cheeky chappy like myself to maybe try to introduce 101 Dalmatians uh, into the mix here. But I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've seen 101 Dalmatians in my whole life, in 44 years. I may have seen 10 maybe, possibly 20, but they seem to be a rarity these days, I don't know. I love a Dalmatian though. Um, now, 101 Corgis might be more of my flavour, potentially, but here we are again. I hope you enjoyed the 100th episode. I know it's a little bit different, it was more like a, uh, a full-on butler roast you know, they, they just set up the uh, spit in the butler's nook and just turned me gently, buttering, roasting, buttering, roasting for about an hour. I mean, it was it was certainly, it was over an hour, I think, of roasting from, you know, two of the best uh, comedy, sassy roasting chefs out there. Uncle Jim, the weasel, and my uh, dearest fee. Um, and you know what? My... Uh, my daughter Catherine, she she's only seven, but she can roast as well. She's learned early. She has all the comebacks, all the quips. She's ready for it. But are we ready for it today? England versus Ukraine. Now I always think about these types of shows, whether to um, you know whether to even start with a uh, celebratory sort of mode or too patriotic. I mean, it's a very difficult balance to uh, to uh, take here. Um, but I'm hoping, I'm not assuming, that England will beat the Ukraine later on. I'm even going to a pub. I have my lucky shirt on. Well, it's partly lucky. It's a, um, it's a red and white uh, England shirt. Well, it's not an England shirt. It's a Ralph Lauren Czech shirt uh, that I've had for a number of years. And I've worn to a number of England games over the years. Now, I don't know if it's lucky or not, because England have lost when I've been wearing that shirt. But I popped it on the other day against Germany to see if it still had its power. Because these sort of items, I mean, for a superstitious football fan or sports fan, you have these items, don't you? You know, if England score a goal when your feet are on the table, you leave your feet on the table and then you have cramp at the end. I've heard about people driving down the road at 66 miles an hour the whole way to uh, bring back the memories of 1966 in England winning the World Cup. I mean, people do, people who don't understand sport probably don't realise these, these odd eccentricities. But this is the England shirt where there's been wins and losses. Now, I do wash it though. I mean, some people don't wash their sporting memorabilia uh, or their lucky sporting shirts. I have washed this shirt. Uh, not since the Germany game. I'm giving it one more go today. There'll be plenty of slavered on deodorant. I like the I like the smell of the ladies' deodorant a little bit more, or the Dove, than uh, than the men's sort of Old Spice. Don't mind a bit of tingly Old Spice, as I said before. But uh, I will be slavering on the deodorant uh, without a worry uh, for the big game today in my lucky age Ralph Lauren shirt. Don't tell anybody there's a hole at the back. There's a little hole at the back. Why keep pulling it down to cover my bottom? Yeah, 
there's a hole in the back. So we will see if that shirt preserves England's lucky flow during the tournament. So coming along the way on the program today, it's quite a packed program and we're having a little bit of football. I, you know, I have to be a little bit self-indulgent here. And, uh, you know, for you football haters, if England lose today, we'll probably never mention the football again until the World Cup in 2022, which will be interesting because it'll be held at Christmas time. So I was trying to think uh, if there were any Christmas football songs out there. I can't think of any. I know there was a lot, lot of football celebrations and they had uh, a lot of DVDs and uh, videos you could get about the greatest goals at Christmas time, but nothing specifically around Christmas other than the big uh, football game in 1916 where there was a truce on the German front line and the English and German soldiers had a game of football, soccer. Uh, that's the only Christmas uh, type of... Uh, thought and uh, correlation I think that I can think of but anyway today me getting names wrong of certain things uh, I am um, a certain ice cream at a um, fast food emporium here in uh, America I got the name of the ice cream wrong but you know what I think it's a fantastic name and we need to mark it we need to copyright it and get it out there uh, Dr. Pimple Popper no more to be said but uh, Dr. Pimple Popper will be making an, an appearance. Uh, not an oozy, splattery, explosive exper uh, experience and appearance, but certainly a discussion about the disgusting nature of Dr. Pimple Popper. Why is this allowed? Why do they allow such an awful type of thing? I mean, on television. I mean, it, it should be given an R rating, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, a new invention I've seen uh, when buttering a corn on the cob. When you when you don't know where to put your knob, the butter, where do you spread it on the cob? Do you want it easy, evenly spread over? Everybody likes an evenly spread knob on the cob. And that'll be part of uh, one of the discussions today. Also, my, uh, my experience with an older Romanian lady who I thought was Ukrainian. Uh, anyway, that'll be coming later. Dad's 1980s tan camel-colored coat. The infamous coat that uh, I, I think he—I think he's been trying to pass this down. I mean, there's many items that my father, I would love him to pass down to me, but this camel coat isn't one of them. Uh, have you ever worn a wet Panama hat? It's very refreshing, I have to say. Uh, do sandwiches taste better during certain sporting events? discussing that artificially intelligent machines going rogue how about an ice bath with cold tea bags kippers i mean it's so there's so much in the show today i don't know if we're going to get all of this stuff in so i'm just saying right now putting it out there that i don't think we're going to cover all these things but i think we may cover britain's cleverest dog predicting another win against uh, england against ukraine I think we're going to talk about Ukraine's notorious butt squad. It's not what you think, people. Uh, Kiev strongman backs England Euros knockout. And also a food guide to Salo, the Ukrainian delicacy, Salo. I don't think anybody else will want to eat it. But you know what? We had to put it out there. Let's match it up against the full English. Why not?
So I married a Branston Pickle heiress. Then it went all wrong. Daisuke Nakana fell in love with the daughter of a wealthy family, but he was cut loose when their son was born. Few jars of brown goose summon such association of comforts and coziness as Branston Pickle. Its glistening lumps are nostalgically British as crisps and pork pies, the stuff of ploughmen's lunches and smoky pubs and toasted sandwiches on Sunday afternoon. Expatriates in lockdown have been shipping it out in bulk to keep home sickness at bay, along with Jaffa cakes, crumpets and cabbage cream eggs. But how many people who spread Branson's on their Stilton know that, commercially speaking, it's no more British than sushi or sake? None of it knows the agonising family battle that lies behind the family brand, a drama playing out in the courtrooms in Tokyo and London. In 2013, Branston Pickle, along with Sarsen's Vinegar and Haywood's Pickled Onions, some of my favourite all-time dishes, I have to say. Pickle it up, baby. A big Japanese food company based in uh, Nagoa, Mizkan, is a family business with the same brand aura as Branston. Its advertising features rapturous parents and children gurgling with delight over Mizkan vinegar sauces and salad dressings. It's all about a family taste and the happiness of family relationships, says Dasaki Nakano. Every pub has sarsens of fish and chips. It's a very taste, uh, very much a taste of uh, British family food. But the new Branston Pickle website in Japan makes much of families and the beauty of parental love. Whenever you need a hit of home, just reach for a jar of Branston Pickle. Every chunky, crunchy bite is like a reassuring hug from mum or a supportive pep talk from dad. I never knew that the Japanese own Branston Pickle now. So let's dig in a little bit deeper. The British condiment you wish you'd met sooner. Um, my childhood had plenty of very English foods. Crumpets, cucumber sandwiches, beans on toast. But the sandwich pickle slipped by me. Uh, this is what uh, Arati Maroon says. Uh, so Arati Maroon started dating an Englishman when in college uh, in India and was formally introduced to this culinary wonder. This man had only one culinary school. And I wasn't far ahead at the time, she says, turning out the perfect cheese and pickle sandwich. He had a precise, if painfully slow manner about his efforts. A uniform amount of butter spread evenly on every slice, each cut of double Gloucester, of ideal thickness, and finally a perfectly apportioned dollop of Branston pickle. I've never tasted a sandwich quite like it. The sticky acidic sauce and sweet, savory crunch set against the sharp fatty cheese. It was a love at first bite. And just like that, the cheese and pickle sandwich uh, became my no-cook lunch for years and years. Uh, and it was complete with bringing back a couple of Branston's pickle uh, jars whenever I was in the UK. Much like HP sauce or Marmite, Branston pickle is a very, very common uh, type of uh, condiment served as the British pub standard, the Plowman's Lunch. A picnic-style cold meal of bread, cheese, and assorted accompaniments, including cold cuts, fruit, and pickle. Uh, with a history that dates back to 1922, a recipe that stayed the same since Branston had very little competition in the space, it occupies over selling 17 million bottles a year. To me, it's its devastating charm lies in a complex flavor of aged uh, umanness, which comes with a combination of sugar, date, paste, a pleasure, barley malt vinegar, and various spices. The rest, what goes into it, reads very much like a roast veg dinner. Carrots, rutabaga, swede, onion, and cauliflower. Those vegetables form the lumpy bits in the pickle that sometimes, as always, as a friend once said, accumulate in the center of the sandwich. 
unless you're eating the smooth version, which is perfect if you love the taste but aren't keen on the lumps. There's also a small chunk version, which comes with a bite but is more spreadable. Your pick of the three depends on what you use it for, but their use is well beyond the sandwich. You can enjoy it with Triscuits, which are the shredded wheat crackers, sharp cheddar, uh, plopped in an oven face melted cheese toast. Use it as a relish in deviled eggs. Uh, spread it on a dosa. The smooth version comes in handy as well. If you're inclined to remember, a little bit goes a long way. A few years ago, Branson started making chutneys, including a rather good caramelized onion chutney, but it would never take place of the sandwich pickle in my pantry. When I moved to the US, I took a break from Branson's for the first time since being introduced and sure where to find it. However, it was never far from my thoughts. Even though I tried to replace it in my cheese sandwich with date relish and methionimbu sweet lime chutney, then one day, quite randomly, I stumbled across a tiny slice of Britain in Brooklyn, a cozy store on the edge of the Brooklyn Heights called Two for the Pot. These amid a diverse inventory of coffees and loose leaf teas, spices, jams and biscuits, sat several jars of Branston pickle. I walked out with three, along with a pack of hobnobs, two packets of Walker's Crisps and a spring in my step. Although you can now buy it online pretty easily, finding that local supplier Branston's four quick subway stops away was a game changer for me. So far, I stopped short of eating it straight out of the jar or stirring it into pasta, yet that is a thing. But a cheese and pickle sandwich, I'll take that any time of day and I'll be happy to make you one too. The thing is though, I've tried to introduce the Branston pickle to the Americans. And they won't take it. I mean, this would be perfect on your 4th of July hot dog. Or I would put on a burger, a cheeseburger. Put the Branston pickle in a cheeseburger this 4th of July. Give yourself a little taste of England. So I want you, the listener, to keep Carmen Cauliflower Cheese to help me exercise. Have an exorcism to one of the most insipid, awful programs on television all over the world and it's becoming an incredibly popular television experience and that television experience is Dr. Pimple Popper. Dr. Pimple Popper has to be struck off the MD registry. He cannot be a doctor anymore. It is wrong that this charlatan is allowed to appear and produce television programs where people are inserting needles and lancing boils live on television. I mean, I, I can't believe people watch Dr. Pimple Popper. This is something that we need to usher out. We need to flush it out, much like Dr. Pimple Popper flushes out the boil. And I don't know if Dr. Pimple Popper is actually an indeed a person. I see him like uh, the doctor who used to be on Dr. 90210 in uh, Los Angeles because he's almost become as famous as that all the guys on Nip Tuck Dr. Pimple Popper falls into the same category but this guy's a charlatan you should not be bursting popping pimples spots acne whatever you want to call it on television it is disgusting I put Dr. Pimple Popper and his snake oil salesman television shows up there against any horror movie that's out there i think i find the the pimple popping more disgusting than any r-rated x-rated horror movie 
you know, I, I'd put it against Eli Roth and Hostel, and some of his some of his uh, pretty nasty horror movies. I mean, this 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 whole thing needs to be snuffed out. You cannot show oozing pus on television. This pustule that is Doctor Pimple Popper needs to be ended, finalized. We cannot have it anymore because it's turning the stomachs of a nation, of the world, of the universe. I mean, if the if the Martians came down and saw that we were watching something where somebody's lancing some sort of obscene boil on somebody's back, what would they think? I mean, what would they think? We might not need Jeff Goldblum uh, in Independence Day as a doctor trying to help us stave off the alien invasion. If we shot up a time capsule with the video of Dr. Pimple Popper, the aliens would not invade. So let's for a moment talk about Jack Grealish's calves. I mean, I haven't really paid attention to that. I haven't noticed this. Well, you know, I did notice it. And I thought, yeah, that young chap has great hair. But I wasn't looking at the calves, to say the least. Um, but everybody's talking about it. And an excerpt that I saw, these casts, though, given that they're probably the most commented on casts in the footballing world, I find it surprising there's been no forensic analysis of how Jack Grealish's mighty lower legs influence his game. So the casts are getting all the write-ups, but how about the lower leg as well? There is definitely discrimination between his calves and the lower leg. The lower legs of Jack Grealish need to get some chat. They need to be discussed more. I mean... They're, make, they're being left out here. It's like his lower leg is the red-headed stepchild of his whole body. The lower leg of Jack Grealish. Whereas calves are, are basically the celebrant. The celebratory piece. People drink to Grealish's calves. But watch him walk or stroll. It's a very heel-heavy, maintaining a very upright stature. But with the ball at his feet, he leans forward and only runs on his toes... Eyes watching and defenders' feet and massive calves ready to propel him rapidly in the opposite direction once the opponent has committed. But you know what he also does as well, I've noticed, is he doesn't always pull his socks up. Now, I would have been uh, castigated at boarding school. I would have probably got the birch or the paddle at boarding school for not having my uh, socks pulled straight up. I mean, for God's sake, you can have suspenders to hold the socks up these days. Probably not on the football pitch, but that could be... Uh, I mean, somebody could pull your suspenders and yank you down, basically, and probably cause a penalty. And I think footballers in suspenders uh, probably, uh, you know, they, they might get teased a little bit, I think, on the pitch. You know, if they went all uh, Freddie Mercury on the pitch with their suspenders on, holding up their socks. But you have to think about this. Socks need to be held up. But Grealish pushes them down, I think, just to accentuate those calves. And I was thinking I might do the same. I might start wearing long socks, push down, and see, uh, you know, see how it goes for me. The trouble is, with my long socks pushed down, I'll then show across the varicose veins. So the weight of a nation. Kiev Strongman calls for Ukraine versus England thriller at Euro 2020 after regaining the title from a British champ. Ukrainian strongest man hopes for a dazzling Euro's clash against England before regaining his own world title from a Brit champion. Osleki Nokokov 
winner of the world's strongest man competition last year is roaring on Andrew Shevchenko's men to show their might in Rome tonight. The 300-pound behemoth weightlifting beast reckons his country has a fighting chance against the Inthorn Three Lions, but only if they believe. He told the son, I speak from my own success in my sport. Belief is everything. It all starts in the mind. You, England might be a very strong team, but the Ukrainian character and nature means that we have a strong backbone and will be difficult to beat. The whole country is behind the team and everybody is rooting for them and is anxious for them to succeed. Novikov is the youngest ever winner of the World's Strongest Man competition at 24. He stunned the world by deadlifting incredible 1,185 pounds during the competition. That's my fighting weight, I think, actually. The Ukrainian can eat a staggering 7,000 calories a day during training, including 15 eggs a morning for breakfast. Well, I have like 55 eggs at the moment. So, uh, so Novikov can come. I can, you know, I can make him a, a mixture of scrambled, poached, boiled, uh, maybe some deviled eggs, maybe a couple of scotch eggs as well. I mean, that would definitely weigh him down for that competition against the bread. But he would, he would, nothing would taste sweeter than a Ukrainian victory over the three lines in Rome, he admits. It would write a new chapter in the country's history. Most of us, though, wish for a fair and entertaining game. Oh, no, he's not saying that. I mean, this, this guy grabs balls for a living. I mean, he, wouldn't, he, he doesn't want it to be a fair, a fair game. Just remind me a little bit of the excerpt from uh, With Nail and I, one of my favourite, favourite British independent films. And this is how it goes. Marwood is at the door of the gents. Nearby is a huge Irish man nursing the end of his tenth pint. Pants! And Marwood. I could hardly piss straight with fear. There was a man with three quarters of an inch of brain who'd taken a dislike to me. What had I done to offend him? I didn't consciously offend big men like that. Marwood heads single-mindedly back to the bar, calling out across the pub. Perfume, Pants! With Nailers settled at the bar, chewing on a pork pie. You'll be pleased to hear Monty's invited us for drinks. Balls to Monty, we're getting out. Balls to Monty, I've just spent an hour flattering the bugger. There's one over there who doesn't like the perfume. A big one. Don't look, don't look. We're in danger. We have to get out. What are you talking about? I've been called a ponce. With Nell. What fucker said that? The Irish bruiser gets up and walks over to them. Now he looks upright to see a very large indeed a gentleman looking for him in the mood for a fight. I called him a ponce, now I'm calling you a ponce. Ponce! Would you like a drink? What's your name, McFuck? As he shouts, he jerks the scarf from around Withnell's neck. I have a heart condition. I have a heart condition. If you hit me, it's murder. I'll murder the periods. My wife is having a baby. Listen, I don't know what, what my f acquaintance did to upset you, but there's nothing to do with me. I suggest you both go outside and discuss it sensibly in the street. Marwood is paralysed with fear. Then Wivnell executes his plan. They push past the huge man and race for the door in blind panic, screaming, Out of my way! So Euro 2020, UK's cleverest dog, predicts another win for England against Ukraine. If you're listening to the show last Saturday, uh, when we had a little German-England special, uh, my dogs did predict an England win. They said 2-1. It was in the end, it was really 2-0, 2-0. Uh, by eating uh, bratwurst versus English sausages. But this mystic mutt willow ordered chicken Kiev for dinner after predicting an England win over the Ukraine. The clever cockapoo munched on a bratwurst in the previous round after poor casting victory against the arch rivals Germany. 
I think the sun's copying my whole story here with the dogs eating the sausages. Anyway, now she's looking for a feast from the east after barking South Gareth Southgate's men to reach the semi-final tonight. Owner Charlotte Price of Basildon said she's a greedy dog and loves her treats. She's correctly predicted the results with three of the England four matches of the Euros so far. She's on a roll and she's hungry for more. We'll be watching it with the rest of the nation and we'll be with uh, England's Salami Army in Rome. Meanwhile, expats have flown from Dubai, Spain, Czech Republic and other EU countries as supporters flock to pubs to toast players' fortunes ahead of the kickoff at 8pm. So UK cities are packed with punters preparing for the match with expats in Italy biting their nails. But once again, the trusty hounds are predicting an England victory. So I did ask for some limericks on Instagram and I got a few, but these were my favorite. There was a young man from Savannah who met his end in a curious manner. He whittled a hole in a telephone pole and electrified his banana. That's the thing that this is the problem with the accent you see, because I say banana instead of banana. So it would have to be, there was a young man from Savannah who met his end in a curious manner. He whittled a hole in a telephone pole and electrified his banana. But there we go. I can't, I have to say banana. I have to elongate my vowels. Banana. Okay. And this was the, uh, this is the second one. There was a young woman called Sally who loved an occasional dally. She sat on the lap of a well-endowed chap and said, you're right up my alley. And then my favorite. We've obviously Richard Branson. There's Branson and uh, Elon Musk and Bezos all in the fight to get their little spaceship up. The one, this is the one that's going to be uh, like a space vacation, basically. So you can pay $200,000 to ride on Virgin Galactic uh, up into the atmosphere on the edge of space, basically. So Branson's going to be trying this out uh, over the course. I think it's actually maybe the 11th of July, I think he's doing it. Anyway, so this made me think about this is in memory and in celebrant and celebration of Richard Branson. There was an old man from Sprocket who went up to space in a rocket. The rocket went bang, his gonads went clang, and his bum ended up in his pocket. We always say on this show about the whole social dilemma with artificial intelligence, the AILs are taking over. So this is the latest example that happened to my girlfriend with her Roomba. So she has one of these Roomba vacuum cleaners. That I'd love this, but I mean, there's so much hair across my whole body, like some sort of Neanderthal. And then I have, I think, some of the hairiest dogs ever, other than uh, Jack the Brat Terrier, who's basically uh, Mr. Bigglesworth. But yeah, the Roomba wouldn't work for me. But she's got the Roomba going, and it's driving her dog Zelda absolutely crazy going around doing its business picking up all the fluff all the bits and pieces her house is pristine so it doesn't really need a room it just needs a light brush to be honest but anyway so the room is going around and the dog's going crazy and the door to office is shut and the Roomba is constantly banging on the office door to get in the AILs are taking over ladies and mantelpieces the Roomba knows that there's more dirt in the other room and it's intelligent enough to want to bang down the door, knock down the door, crash down the door to get to the dirt. That is how efficient and intelligent. They talk about life forms out there that are more intelligent than us. 
my dears, the Roomba is more intelligent than the human being. It knows where there's dirt. It hasn't even gone across a room yet, but it gets sense a dirty room that needs attention and it tries to crash down the door. I think we need Arnie. I think the, the robots are taking over. This is Total Recall all over again. So my dear father has a camel coat, a tan coat, straight from the 1980s. So my dear dad has, the, has these sort of brain explosions, brain farts, uh, epiphanies, whatever you want to call it. Now, he once bought five leather jackets at one time. I think he bought two very expensive Swiss watches one time. And the leather jackets were faux leather. It looked like uh, Del Boy from Only Fools and Horses in the UK had sold him off some sort of dodgy uh, East London market. Uh, but he has this tan coat that he's trying to resurrect into everybody's lives. And in fairness, this tan coat couldn't even button around uh, his girth or my girth in 1985. I mean, to say, I mean, it, it's, it's probably the early form of uh, slim fitting. Think about skinny jeans. This is a skinny coat. This is a skinny camel coat that you would have to, I mean, it's like trying to, uh, to squeeze into a rubber balloon or anything else rubber, <laughs> potentially. I mean, it's like, to, it's like squeezing a large object into a tight rubber condition. Uh, I mean, it's it's like uh, it's like a rather rotund man trying to squeeze into a very skinny type of rubber cat suit. This is what this tan coat is like. I mean, the tan coat really needs to go on the bonfire for Guy Fawkes Night, I think, or go on the guy. I mean, when you're creating or erecting or building a guy for Guy Fawkes Night, fifth of November, remember, remember, then you could use this tan coat to keep the guy warm. But it doesn't, I mean, it hasn't fit around. I mean, I don't think it's ever, even in my prime, it's never fit around my girth. And I think when my dad bought it, it, uh, it, didn't, it didn't work either. It didn't fit around him either. I mean, maybe if he trained with Frankie Tutorial, some sort of jockey, and they went into a sauna or a steam and lost maybe 30 pounds... He might be able to get that button done up. But it's a danger to all and sundry. If that button pops off, it could cause a serious flesh wound. So do you have trouble getting enough butter on your cob? We're all roasting corn this time of year. And it's 4th of July. And one of the underrated 4th of July traditions is roasting your corn on the cob on the barbecue. Do you wrap it in foil and end it off and sort of blacken it a little bit at the end? Or do you like your, the pristine yellow of the cob? Or do you roast it just in the sheaves? I mean, you have to, uh, you don't have to double bag the cob. Leave the sheaf on the cob and it protects it from overcooking. I mean, you don't want those corns bursting or, or exploding too early. That would be an absolute disaster. You don't want the corns popping off in your hand. The invention is basically a stick with a wooden hand with a rubber glove over the top of the hand. And 
inserted and the little piece cut out of the hand and inserted into that piece is a knob of butter. And basically the uh, finger and thumb join to almost do a circular motion and then you can fit the corn cob between the finger and thumb in the circular motion. And as you slide the corn cob in and out of the finger and thumb, it coats the butter. And then you can spin the cob, making sure there's an even coat of butter across the whole of the corn cob. I put it up on Twitter a few weeks ago. So basically, you've got a very buttery, delicious corn cob that's evenly slavered. So you've got a buttery hand slavering a corn cob with butter. And anyway, we're going to go straight to a little test here of the butter being slavered right over and it's being slavered all over the cob, evenly spread over the cob. And, and we're going right now, it's a live, in motion, cob being buttered with the hand. Are you feeling hungry yet? So everybody will be pleased to hear that Ukraine's notorious butt squad will be flashing their bums to show the support for the Ukraine team ahead of Euro 2020 showdown against England. Models from Ukraine's notorious butt squad who were jailed for a racy photo shoot in Dubai posed in Kiev to support their country ahead of tonight's Euro 2020 game against England. Their cheeky balcony snap on the skyscraper almost went viral uh, but now four women in blue and yellow Ukrainian flags are props to back up the team. Yana Gobashok, a train lawyer, our team is, a, is our pride. I believe in our victory and we'll watch and support Ukraine. Only forward, only victory. Uh, the four were part of the group that flew to Dubai with playboy Vitaly Gretchen uh, and then took that scandalous naked shoot. But they're back again, wrapped in the Ukrainian flags, supporting their team tonight. And uh, you know what? I think they, I think they need to move the butt squad to the side of the pitch. Uh, blink of the, blink of the English players, so they need the Ukrainians can see the butt squad. They'll be so distracted, they're definitely going to lose. So now we have the foodies guide to Salo, the Ukrainian delicacy made out of cured pork fat. Lard is making a staging a gastronomic comeback around the world but has never been out of fashion in Ukraine where it's best served cold. At first glance it could be a hard sheep's cheese or smoky mozzarella but the slabs are actually cold white pork fat. Ukraine's national dish known as salo is best covered with garlic, onion and pickles and almost can be washed down with a shot of vodka. The dish is not recommended for those watching their waistlines. One serving of pig fat amounts to 900 calories. Lard is making a comeback in foodie circles around the world in the UK, bread and dripping has got many families through the Great Depression, but now it's being served in trendy cafes, smeared on sourdough toast. But Katrina Kogova from the Russian Revels, a cooking duo who explore Slavic culture through food, has decided a lot of time exploring the history of Salo and what it means to the Ukrainians. Any post-Soviet person will be able to recite at least three anecdotes about Ukrainians that love a Salo. Although the Ukrainian neighbors may have looked down on the peasant food, unsophisticated, but there's a quiet admiration for the relationship Ukrainians have with their black soil, their livestock, and what they feed it. Salo is a national obsession. It's described as the dish as having a cult-like status. 
The Yellow Times spoke to connoisseurs, call it a narcotic. It's absolutely addictive. Uh, and with Love to Silo Festival claims that it's four entries in the Ukrainian Book of Records of uh, making the world's biggest silo sandwich. It's 76 meters long, creating the world's first pig and silo monument, overseeing the speediest silo consumption. It's one kilograms in 10 minutes, 35 seconds, and crafting the world's biggest silo football, which measured six meters in diameter and weighed 400 kilograms. Maybe they need to be playing with the silo football today. I mean, if that hit Jack Grealish's thighs, it probably bruised the buggers. And how to spot a good silo? Silo is when nobody uh, nobody gives an F and you've got a bit of money. Having a good bit of silo, uh, Kolgava says an indicator of the good life. How can you tell it's a good silo? It should be aiming for a slab six fingers thick. Silo is made from the rind of a pig, cured with salt and fermented in brine. It can then be stored in the fridge for months or the freezer or even longer. It tastes best when you have a connection with the place where the pigs are from. A small farm holding, a good silo comes from a friend, at the very least a friend of a friend. Silo can be a dessert. Pig fat chocolate may sound like a fast food, but chocolate covered silo is a food trend. Silo can be an art. It's championed by the Silo Modern Art Museum. Expat uh, Live Alive describes the exhibition. Come restaurant as a specialist in pork fat, surprising and provocative shapes. Another installation sees a heart of lard in a glass box which could serve as a national health warning poster. Silo is concentrated energy, a quintessence of national values. When Kalava visited, she was served a penis made of pork fat, served with a side helping of dumplings. So maybe they need to think about making a silo ice cream, pork fat ice cream. It could be delicious as a frozen custard. But if there was a special emporium, fast food emporium, here in, here in America, Wendy's. Now, I, I couldn't remember the other evening what the name of their famous ice cream is. And as going around my mind, you know, it was on the tip of your tongue, basically. But I couldn't think of it. And then suddenly I blurted out Frosticles. And of course, it's actually Frosties. That's the name of the ice cream. But Frosticles. Just imagine. I need to get it copyrighted. Maybe I need to start making a butler ice cream called Frosticles that, uh, you know, freezes you from the tip of your nose down to your never regions. And we'll call them Frosticles. And they'll be the most delicious, creamiest, decadent ice cream you're ever going to taste. But I think that's what we need to do. So, you know, if the whole podcasting lark and butler lark doesn't work out, I could start, you know, making an alternative sort of, sort of gelato on the street, dressed purely in my butler's pressed outfit, and we'll call them Frosticles. So the big game starting in a couple of hours here. Uh, but remember, football's really a very simple game. Step one, pass the ball around for 60 minutes. Step two, get Jack Grealish on. Step three, win. Uh, and then uh, Boris Johnson and his, uh, his, his pussycat, uh, Larry, the Downing Street cat, has actually predicted who will win against Ukraine-England today. The cat's approaching the flags and he starts licking the flag of St George. He predicts an England win. The only thing is, Boris did smother fish paste all over the flag. It'd be lovely having you here for the podcast. It's a little bit of a shorter edition. I didn't do the bumper bonanza edition that I did for the 100, but the 101 has been a real pleasure. 
England against Ukraine tonight. Will Southgate's men win? Who knows? I mean, it's a, uh, it's probably a flip of the coin, but a dead certainty and uncertain world is that I will be back next week uh, for uh, the 102nd edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And you can listen to audio versions across all of the platforms, uh, but there is a little musical edition, a little bit injected football, a real sort of rousing chorus of uh, tunes on the Butler Emporium edition on Spotify. So look out for that. At Keep Cheese on Twitter, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese Instagram. Thank you for all your support, uh, all of your uh, follows. It's been absolutely delightful. You can like and subscribe on all of the platforms as well. And that does help build up the podcast uh, in the uh, strong men of podcast competition that's going on around the world. And, uh, you know, if you eat enough Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, uh, you're definitely going to bulk up. And be uh, very carb-laden, I would say. But that's the uh, end of the podcast. And next we have the poem. This is an excerpt speech from John O'Gaunt's speech from Richard II. This royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, demi-paradise, this fortress built by nature for herself, Against infection and the hand of war, this happy breed of men, this little world, this precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves in the office of a wall, or as a most defensive to a house. Against the envy of less happier lands, this blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England. Thank you for listening. Cheerio.